by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. The fossil fuel industry should not be benefiting from COVID-19. And frankly, it's not up to the government to bail them out. So it should not be easier for fossil fuel corporations to get COVID-19 relief than small businesses, minority-owned businesses, and our people who don't even have complete access to healthcare. So it is absolutely ridiculous to think and to read about efforts being made by the administration, by this president, to save the fossil fuel industry. That's Representative Manette Barragan, U.S. Congresswoman for California's 44th District. She's our guest today. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Well, I'm, I am very excited for this next interview for a lot of reasons. One, we have my dear sister, U.S. Congresswoman Lynette Barragan uh, from California's 44th District. And man, do we need climate champions um, on the Hill. But just for a little bit of background, uh, Representative Lynette Barragan was elected to the U.S. House Representatives back in 2016 becoming the first Latina ever to represent California's 44th congressional district. Um, she grew up, uh, was born in Harbor City, California, and grew up the youngest of 11 siblings raised by immigrants from Mexico. She earned her BA in political science um, with a minor in public policy at UCLA, um, and her JD, her Juris Doctor, at USC. And so she definitely understands the power that demonstration without litigation leads to frustration. So without further ado, my dear sister, Congresswoman Berrigan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on and, and joining you today. I'm so excited to, to be with you. Just trying to stay healthy and safe. And, uh, you know, that's the challenge in our communities right now and fighting for justice. It is. It is actually. Well, before we leap into that part of the conversation, um, I gave a a brief bio. But for those who don't know you um, or listening to this show, either on the East Coast or the West Coast or from all around the country, who is Congresswoman Annette Barragan? Well, thank you. You did a pretty good job there. But I like <laughs> to think of myself as an environmental fighter and champion, mm. the daughter of immigrants. Uh, somebody who knows that if we don't speak out, if we don't stand up for our communities, nobody will. And I just see myself as somebody who is helping. You all are the foot soldiers on the ground, and I'm trying to push that agenda in Congress all the way up to the White House. And was very fortunate this term to be appointed to the Energy and Commerce Committee only the second Latina in the history of this country to be appointed to that committee that does all the environmental justice work and is in charge of making sure we're pushing forward an environmental justice agenda. And that is really what I see 
both on that committee and as a member of leadership of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Well, thank you. I mean, that means a lot. I mean, before I became an environmentalist, which I do now, and also uh, work with the Hip Hop Caucus, as you know, I was an officer in the United States Air Force, and I tell people all the time that I didn't sign up. Um, I didn't pledge to give my life uh, for Democrat or Republicans, but for Americans. And you are in that spirit, and you are fighting for all the citizens in this country. And I think with that backdrop, you know, with COVID-19, we're seeing COVID cases rise in many states across the country, especially in California. And the essential workers are still at work putting their lives on the line, their family lives. They are struggling to put food on the table while literally dodging COVID-19. So how is this one affecting the Latinx community, but also just in general, how do you see this um, this this virus literally impacting us in this country? Well, first, let me say thank you uh, for your service to our country and the continued service you do through um, things like this podcast and our advocacy. So, thank you for that. Um, the COVID the COVID pandemic has been a real challenge um, in uh, not only across the country, but more so in our communities of color. Certainly. Our Latino communities are feeling the brunt. My district is almost 70% Latino, and it's scary. You know, our Latino communities are very close-knit. Many families live together with their abuelas and their abuelos, their grandparents. And so if you have one person in the household contract um, and get COVID-19, there's a good shot everybody in that household is going to get it. And so we're seeing... The, the surge in California, we're seeing now the hospitalizations increase. Latinos and African-Americans both hit really hard on this. Um, in, Calif- in California, Latinos make up about two out of every five Californians, but make up more than half of the COVID-19 cases. And what what's making it worse is that our Latino communities, uh, many of them are the essential workers. And so they have to go to work. They don't have the choice of working from home. Um, many of them are DACA recipients who are healthcare workers on the front lines, helping save others and then contracting it. And so we are, are being hit hard. Um, and then when you think about the environmental connection here, it is that I represent one of the most heavily polluted districts in the country. So you know, our black and brown communities in my district have the higher rates of the respiratory issues that are leading to further complications. If you have those and you get COVID, you're more likely to die. Mm. And so the environmental justice issue is directly linked to COVID-19 and why we have to fight for the environmental justice. So when we have pandemics like this, our communities are not being hit harder, but we got a lot of work to do. Mm. Congresswoman, you know, first of all, I know you share with me, our, our prayers go out to everyone who has lost their lives um, mm-hmm. because of this and, and the families who have been devastated. But one of the things that's crazy to me is that in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this heart-wrenching uh, epidemic uh, that we're going through, this pandemic that we're going through, there are folks who have looked upon this moment to take advantage uh, 
of the situation, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely disgusting, to be honest. The fossil fuel industry has gotten billions of dollars um, in uh, in COVID-19 relief. So how will this bailout? uh, uh, Well, how do you feel about that? And then and then how do you feel about, you know, how fixing that that doesn't happen again? Well, first of all, it's wrong. The fossil fuel industry should not be benefiting from COVID-19. And frankly, it's not up to the government to bail them out. So it should not be easier for fossil fuel corporations to get COVID-19 relief than small businesses, minority-owned businesses, and our people who don't even have complete access to health care. So it is absolutely ridiculous to think and to read about efforts being made by the administration, by this president, to save the fossil fuel industry. We have seen how companies that have access to large banks or are favored by the Trump administration have had an easier time getting loans. So I've been concerned about their diversion of funds that could happen, you know, propping up polluters who are near bankruptcy because of the debt that they took out before the pandemic, uh, which is why I worked with Senator Jeff Merkley of, of Oregon to introduce a bill called the Rewind Act basically to block COVID-19 mm. relief funds from going to the fossil fuel companies. Because uh, we need to focus on supporting the people and helping the people, not the corporations. Now, the the hard part is you know, when you've got a lobby like the fossil fuel lobby and you've got senators who are not willing to act, um, it makes it a challenge. But we got to keep up the fight because this is not about saving them. It's about saving people. And fossil fuel companies are killing us. They're killing our people. So, well, I'm going to continue the fight and we're going to continue to push for Hmm. um, the Rewind Act because we need to make sure that our relief money, our taxpayer money is going for the people, going for environmental justice, not for the polluters and not for the big corporations. Well, thank you for that. That gets me excited to know that that kind of policies are being put forth because it's just outrageous. I mean, I don't care where you sit on which side of the aisle that you should be outraged. I mean, definitely um, not having those resources go for small businesses and communities of color, but instead bailing out, in essence, the fossil fuel industry that does not need to be bailed out. Thank you um, for, for that. Where are you in the process of uh, the Rewind Act? Well, we've introduced it, and Senator Merkley has introduced it um, in the Senate and we haven't yet been able to get action on it, although there's been a lot of pressure. And we just got to keep up that pressure so that we have leadership continue to try to get this negotiated in. Now, it's been a real challenge because the Trump administration, it's a negotiation and um, they've just had their interest in in trying to help their industry. Uh, we just had the Secretary of Energy before my committee, and it's clear from his testimony that they are interested in helping the industry instead of people, instead of small businesses that need it, those who are in need, I mean, they're the ones holding back another stimulus, economic stimulus check to the people. They're the ones holding back on making sure unemployment gets extended to help the people. They're the ones holding back uh, to stop any progress on the environmental side. As a matter of fact, they're rolling everything back on the environmental side. So they don't have the interest of the people, and we're going to continue to fight. And I hope those who are listening will continue to reach out to their members, their senators, on and, and the leadership so that we can get this Rewind Act 
put into the next piece of COVID legislation that's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I think it's very important. Thank you for that. And I think you're right. I mean, the Trump administration is rolling back. Uh, they rolled back 100 environmental protections, um, including, including NEPA. Um, and so one of the things I would just say is that it seems like the Environmental Protection Agency seems more like the Polluters Protection Agency. But what does the destruction of NEPA mean for our communities, for those listening? Well, it's really harmful. And what it means, it means this administration is trying to silence our communities. Because what NEPA does is NEPA is actually the tool, I call it a civil rights tool, giving communities the power to speak up and be part of the decision-making process before a dangerous polluting project is put into our very neighborhoods. So this is the tool, NEPA is the tool that gives vulnerable communities across the country the opportunity to make our voices heard um, and stop this pollution. So if you think about it for a moment, if they're gonna say no more NEPA, no more tool, they're trying to silence us. They're trying to keep us down. And they're trying to say, we're going to do whatever we want. This is more environmental racism. This is more of putting policies in place or taking away those policies that are going to disproportionately impact our black, our brown, our indigenous communities so that we suffer higher health effects from the environmental injustice. So we have to push back and we've got to make a change in November because um, our Health is on the line. Our communities are on the line. And frankly, the air we breathe is on the line. So this is going to be completely destructive to our, our fence line communities and those across the country. So we've got to keep pushing back on this. And for those listening, NEPA is for the National Environmental Policy Act. Uh, it is literally... Um, in enforcement and and in environmental law that help promote the enhancement of the environment um, and protecting literally us from to have clean air and clean water. And I'm talking with Congressman Annette Barragon, and you can hear her passion. She is such a a fighter, a climate champion. You can hear it in her voice, and you see it in what she's doing on the Hill. And we are so blessed, I guess, to have her. And I guess. You mentioned earlier about the fossil fuel companies who literally she has been taking on um, since her days back uh, on the city council <laughs> when she was standing up to all companies back in the day. So this is so, as they say, uh, she, not, she, she ain't new to this. She's true to this. So if, right. if you, like you want to know, <laughs> she is definitely all in for making sure that whoever you are, doesn't matter Republican or Democrat, she wants everybody to have clean air and clean water and to be able to breathe um, and, to, and to exist. But unfortunately, Congressman, you know, fossil fuel companies like Exxon and Chevron, um, you know, knew about the climate change and they are still polluting and killing people and have done so for decades. So the bottom line is that with that continuing, and sometimes we know how they play the game on Capitol Hill, how do we finally hold the fossil fuel industry accountable? Well, first of all, we need to make sure that polluters pay for the damage they've caused. They must pay to clean up pollution. 
they've caused in our community. And they must be held accountable for the damage they're doing to people's health, especially in our communities of color like mine. Uh, it's right next to an oil refineries. Um, and again, one of the most heavily polluted. We need to end the gigantic tax breaks that the federal government gives away to the oil companies and invest those funds in clean energy. Now, my colleagues and I are pushing for change. For example, we want to remove the fossil fuel companies' liability protections for their role in the climate crisis. But the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress want to increase protection for the big oil companies and make sure they're never held accountable. And that we have to make sure doesn't happen. So cities across the country, including um, states like California, have sued the oil industry for damages. And liability protections would prevent lawsuits like this. So as the climate condition gets worse, um, these lawsuits will only continue. And and any climate legislation that Congress passes is uh, should ensure that the fossil fuel companies can be held accountable for damage they've caused and they continue to cause. Mm. We can't let them out. You know, and, and well, thank I mean, that's what we had to have happen. You know, you kind of went viral a little while ago, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess because you're passionate and you, you have you, you, you will have those moments. Uh, it was in an energy subcommittee. Um, you asked the secretary of energy um, simply if he believed in environmental racism. And his response was kind of, out, out of, well, this was his response. He said, quote, I'm not sure what you mean by that, end quote. So I guess the question to you is, what does this, what does his response say about the Trump administration and their concept of not only of environmental racism, but also about climate change? Well, first of all, I try to help the guy out, okay? I was trying to give him, <laughs> I was trying to, to, to read to him and, <laughs> and, and, and help him out by talking about the disproportionate impact on community color of the pollution in the air. And it just shows a lack of understanding by the secretary and this administration of the impact that pollution for fossil fuels has on communities of color and how the fossil fuel industry targets our communities. It's no accident that so many toxic facilities are in Black, Latino, and Indigenous communities. And so it's easy for him to stand up and say, well, I don't know what this means. After I've just practically fed it to him, we also put up a tweet that we found of a video to explain environmental racism to him. And I will be following up with him uh, because this administration, it's easy for them to say that U.S. energy policy policy should support every energy source, uh, for example, wind, solar, coal, and natural gas, and they'll say it. But in reality, uh, these energy sources are not all equal. um, And the fossil fuel drilling and burning has devastated these impacts on our communities, on our air, on our water, our climate. And they're harming us, and they're just either denying it or they don't believe it. And we know this administration uh, denies the science, they deny the facts, but they've also uh, been ones fanning the flames of um, this injustice and racism, including environmental racism. And so we can't ignore it. And mm. I thought it was important to ask him the question. Uh, and we we saw the answer, a uh, complete uh, either denial or just a lack of understanding. No, we did. Just, just as you are right, just a denial and lack of understanding. And, and, th- and thank you for connecting the dots. Many times in our own movement, we have been saying for years, that climate justice is racial justice and racial justice is climate justice. 
And we have been trying to break down the silos um, so people can understand that there isn't this, these walls between environmental racism and this racism that we see throughout this country. And particularly this summer, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen protests all over this country and the world addressing police brutality, the murder of black and brown and indigenous people. Um, and during this time, we've also seen clearly Latinx deaths uh, at the hands of officers rise. We've, I've seen you um, pushing for justice for Andreas Guado and countless others. And so I just want you to speak to the justice for Andreas and also what are the members of Congress doing to ensure police reform, police reform as well? So, yeah, the uh, case of Andres Guardado, who's in my district, is a kid, Latino, got shot in the back five times by uh, sheriff's police Mm. and was killed. And what was outrageous was they were holding back the official coroner's autopsy. Um, Because when you think about the fact he was shot in the back during this uh, uprising that we're having, this movement of demanding justice, against police brutality, it makes that even worse that they would uh, try to be uh, holding back on transparency. Look, we want justice and we want change. And it's the time, it's well past the time to change the systems that allow for police to murder our black and brown uh, people and get away with it. And that's why in the House, we passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Now, this is just the first step and addressing police brutality. Um, Because it does things like ban the chokeholds, the very thing that killed George Floyd. It would stop and not allow no-knock warrants. The very thing that had it been in place, Breonna Taylor would be alive today, right? It would limit the transfer of military-grade weapons to local law enforcement. It creates a national standard. It It won't allow for one bad police officer to go from one area to another without being into a database that we could see. And it will, it will address the issue of police immunity, which is, um, it needs to be changed. And it's, it's preventing justice in many instances. And so while the bill has gone out of the House, we got to have the Senate Act. And uh, the American people are crying out for justice. They're crying out for change. We need to continue the pressure on the Senate, uh, but uh, it's just really hard. Mitch McConnell has got no compassion uh, for our communities, and it just doesn't look like he's moving. But we got to keep up the fight. No, we we do, um, and we and we must. And I, I thank you for that because one of the things we've seen with um, the movement for Black Lives is that there is a need to ensure. <laughs> that when we say, as George Floyd said, I can't breathe, um, that means so many different things. Uh, it means I can't breathe literally because of the brutality. It also means I can't breathe because of the smog and the pollution. We know that 68% of people of color live within 30 miles of a coal-fired power plant that literally there, they can't breathe. So there's a need, as you mentioned, to connect the dots between the environmental racism and the racism, and it's and racism, period. Our world will be a much, much better place once we begin to uh, end racism in that aspect. But your home state of California, Cali, your good old <laughs> California, 
has been dealing with a number of things. Uh, one of the things that we've seen has been the issue of the movement for Black Lives. And thank you for lifting up. Uh, we, I, I wanted people to look at the story for Justice for Andres. Where actually can they, where, where, I know you've been championing that. Where can they find out more? Where that case right now? So uh, you can always go to our Twitter feed at Rep Berrigan um, on Twitter. We, all, we have tweets going up. Um, we, they can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, but general, you know, what's happening right now is we've got the, um, the official coroner's report was just put out. We're demanding justice. We're still seeing protests here locally. Um, and we're, we're calling on justice for this, for this family and, and for Andres. And so, you know, our social media pages will, will have, um, you know, comments and links to stories that, that people can go to get more information. They can call our office. It's, it's always something they can do as well. No, thank you for that. Well, in California, we know you're dealing with a lot of the effects of climate change. And so in experiencing firsthand with the wildfires and rising sea levels, and as the effects of climate change continue to intensify, what can uh, your uh, home state residents of California kind of expect? And how are you approaching issues of mitigation and adaptation right now? Well, we're doing a lot of different things. And one of the things I want to uh, quickly mention, because it was a big win for us, is we had a we had a bill called the Climate Smart Sports Act and a, a second bill called the Outdoors for All Act. And so what's happening is ports are a great source of, of job creators and they move the our goods and they're really great at that. But they also produce uh, air pollution. And so... Um, we, I authored a bill and I say we, because, you know, you can't do anything on your own. It takes an amazing staff, um, to help put this together. And then the coalitions that we've built on this bill, um, were really remarkable. And there's not very many times where you introduce a bill and with, within a month, that bill gets put in to a larger infrastructure package, which is what happened. Um, but this is an effort to green the ports. And so in California, you know, Los Angeles port, which I represent, and the, and the Long Beach port are right next to each other, um, you know, are creating air pollution in our, in our community color. And so this basically would invest in a zero emissions technology and infrastructure. It's going to protect dock workers. It's going to fight climate change. It'll address the source of environmental injustice and will create good paying green jobs. We've also been able to get labor on board, environmental groups on board. But this is about environmental justice. So when you talk about what can we do, what are we doing, it's trying to put forth ideas like this, bills like this, that will help us in achieving that zero emissions that we need that's going to make a difference in, in climate. It's going to make a difference in the health of our community. So, so I just wanted to mention that. No, that's a good, that's a good, no, no. Please always come in. You are always welcome to mention good news. <laughs> we yeah. want to don't, do not hold back in, on the good news and those two bills, the Climate uh, Smart Ports Act and the Outdoors for All Act, which were included in the Moving Forward Act. Um, so, though, no, thank you for that. But I guess how, how will those two acts uh, more clearly bring clean air and access to green spaces for everybody? So the Climate Smarts Ports Act, um, what we'll, we'll do was it will provide an incentive for companies to apply for these grants so that they can 
invest in zero emissions technology as opposed to low emissions technology, which still gives out emissions and still is is causing pollution and will then have the harmful health impacts into our communities of color. And so, you know, there was a recent study that Harvard did that found the link between the exposure to air pollution and death from the coronavirus, which we know is devastating our communities of color. So environmental injustice is part of the systematic racism that we need to address. So the bill here is going to help green the ports across the country, not just here in California. And that is going to be helping fight climate and uh, moving toward green technology and green jobs. That's the first bill. The second bill, the Outdoors for All Act, uh, what it does, it basically uh, says, we're going to invest more dollars into green spaces in urban areas that are mostly impacting our communities of color. So right now we have areas where there's a lack of green open spaces where our kids can go play. And then these areas also um, are helpful when there's when it starts to rain and storm. Um, these grassy areas they are able to absorb um, stormwater and runoff. And so having green spaces is critical for the health and development of our kids. We need to have our our kids be able to go and access the outdoors. Um, and if you put a green space, that's one less area you have development. That's one less space you have uh, more drilling or air pollution. And so this will create a dedicated source of funding for projects to expand that outdoor recreational opportunities in, in urban and low-income areas across the country. I love that. And we definitely need more green spaces in, the, in your thoughts, though, because obviously you understand our community better than anyone. And, you know, there is a thing as we are dealing with the, the green spaces and in in, in creating the need for green spaces. There is a thing here where sometimes we've seen recently um, with Ahmaud Arbery, who was just running in Georgia, or even with Christian Cooper, who was the birder um, in Central Park, New York, um, that sometimes green spaces for people of color um, it could be difficult because it's, they, <laughs> you know, just by, again, by being a person of color, uh, sometimes it's hard to be in these spaces. But more importantly, our communities become threatened when they see these green spaces being built through gentrification. So how do you kind of just reassure that as you're building these green spaces, as you're building these things in the community, that it isn't, it's for the community that's there now and not for somebody to move into later? Well, that's a really good point. Um, I think that any any green space we're gonna oh, we're gonna build, especially in these industrial areas that have been lacking green spaces, is that we ensure whether it's through putting provisions in these projects to say this is for the community, should be built by the community, um, because it's the idea behind this is we want to have. Um, more green areas for our communities to go to, our kids to go to after school to play, stay out of trouble, to have clean air to breathe in. And so, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I have not yet heard um, within our community any pushback on new park spaces uh, because we've actually needed more uh, soccer fields and baseball fields. And we have we have seen it go in the positive direction where we have seen more concern has been on uh, this concept of opportunity zones where you're giving money to people to come and develop and all of a sudden now it's not helping our 
our area or it's not going to the right people. And so we will continue to push for any funding that goes to our communities to green space is keeping those areas green to preserve, uh, preserve green land and preserve a space for our children to be able to go and play and enjoy and not to pollute and not to have more development on. Wow, that's such an important thing and an important process that, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think that we around the country would be interested to see how you're, how you're doing that. Okay, I think that there's clearly a need. Um, our environmental movement um, looks for that, but sometimes we miss some of the social um, uh, aspects to what that entails and how literally, you know, we need to make sure people feel safe um, as we're expanding. So please, I think we'll definitely be looking for that. One of the things I also know, you, Congressman, you do so much. <laughs> you, you and your staff, you're right. You, you, y'all be, I, I'm not sure, y'all, I, you know, you're supposed to get some rest, or not rest, but I guess people are supposed to be doing less during COVID. It's like you're doing more. It's like you're, it's like you are, as you, you're taking the words of hip hop to the, to the core. Can't stop, won't stop. And you are definitely. Well, we got to we got to do it. I mean, and it does feel like we're working more because there's a pandemic within a pandemic, whether it's the social justice issues, the police brutality and the coronavirus and fighting back against climate. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier the the wildfires and the mitigation and adaptation. And, you know, I, I was so excited about telling you about the bill um, that that I, I should have mentioned then that. So we're looking, we're in a coastal state, right? We're California. We've got the sea level rise issue. We got flooding from storms. And so uh, when it comes to mitigation adaptation, uh, we got to make sure that we're, we're doing things like even in my urban district here, because we're seeing the, the urban heat island effect. And so on adapting to these changes and working with the federal government to cover 100% of the cost for disadvantaged communities to do flood risk management plans. So they can identify and move forward with projects to protect from flooding. Um, but most important is making the changes that will slow or prevent the climate change uh, phenomenon, which is what's happening. And that is kind of where we tie into investing in clean energy and the zero emissions uh, technologies that I mentioned at the, at the port that we're trying to do. It's finding ways to wind down the polluting and climate changing um, driving fossil fuel industry that we're seeing. Because we're in big trouble if we don't start to act on solving this problem right away. And, you know, the federal government has to be a partner. And we got to make sure we're doing things like that uh, flood risk management plan. And um, and so I just wanted to, to make sure to go back to that because I, I was so excited about the bill that I, you know, I didn't get to fully answer your question on that. No, thank you for going back to that. That's actually very important to, to cover that. And I think one of the things in speaking to that, people don't, people think, they used to think of, polar bears and other things when it comes to in the environmental movement and, and climate. And clearly that's beginning to change. Uh, we believe that's, that's changing. We're hopefully trying to make that change here um, in this process. But your district in Los Angeles actually includes Compton. Shout out to Compton. Um, and maybe, maybe people don't know. And I guess people who are listening to this show uh, either in New York or in D.C. or all around the country. Um, they may not know that in Compton, there are oil rigs, like literally oil, I need to understand, oil rigs that are in the backyards of Black and Latinx communities. And I'm not exaggerating, like literally 
in the backyard. I'm not saying like this is like down the street. This is like, you know, you drive. This is like in the backyard, there are, there are these oil rigs. And so what can what can we and and you and all of us do to bring awareness to this and also this ultimately what we have to do, which is this end the, end the destruction um, of the fossil fuel industry? Well, first of all, it's it's about building our coalitions and mobilizing and having us fight for each other and standing with our brothers and sisters when a company is going to come in to fight or when they're polluting and helping them come out to speak out against this. Because you're absolutely right. These, uh, these drilling rigs, the oil rigs are right in your backyard. You could see a photo of a child playing and in the background is the rig. It is, it doesn't look like it's a real photo, but it's happening every day in our backyard. Um, we've seen specials being done um, on Wilmington and Carson also next door to Compton where they're highlighting this. But we've got to continue the advocacy. We got to continue um, using every tool in the toolbox, which is organizing, direct action, uh, policy changes, legal tactics as well. Um, legal tactics work too. But we need to establish setbacks for existing oil wells to keep them away from homes and businesses and parks and schools where our children play. And so we've got to be more aggressive in winding down the fossil fuel industry. Okay. And that's going to include putting an end to the billions of dollars in subsidies that the federal government gives away to the big oil companies. All right. And we got to prevent any of our taxpayer dollars from going to the fossil fuel industry, which is why this rewind act that we introduced um, is so important because we've got to make sure that when we are helping people and giving them relief for COVID, that it's not going to fossil fuel companies. That's not the intention. That is not who we should be saving. Um, so we need to continue to move to clean and green um, energy, electric vehicles, so we can end our reliance on fossil fuels and wind it down because it's time to move and think about the future and the uh, true environmental damage their industry causes is. Uh, is as you mentioned earlier, it's causing us to say, I can't breathe. And we need to put an end to that. I know that's right. Well, Cousin, I just have three more questions. I want to thank you for your time. My first question, my, my last, my last, my last round here is just, I, as you know, I wear many hats. I, uh, I'm here uh, <laughs> doing the uh, radio show, which we then move into podcasts and all that good stuff. And uh, we have our campaign at Hip Hop Caucus called Think 100%. Uh, and that's an amazing, award-winning process. But I also wear a hat where I'm on the board, I'm on many boards, many environmental boards. And one of those boards I'm on, I'm on the board records for the League of Conservation Voters. And one of the things there I have been champion uh, as a board member of LCV is that not only should we continue to support the champions on the Hill and across the country, but the champions, particularly of communities of color. And so I guess from your standpoint, uh, maybe besides yourself, and I think that we can all hear how we need to continue to support you, but who are the other champions on the Hill? Um, and, and it could be, it could be anybody, but I really want to hear from about those on the Hill from the communities of color, but also just in general. Who are, who are those on the Hill who you've seen that like, have been like, wow, these are some amazing folks 
who are fighting for our environment? Well, I would be remiss if I did not start with the environmental justice partners of mine on our EJ task force. And uh, when I first got to Congress, I got together with uh, Pramila Jayapal and Donald McEachin. And I said, let's, let's get together and do this tri-caucus um, environmental justice task force so that we can, we can w- we work our caucuses together to have more power because we know there's strength in numbers. And so they have been great partners. Of course, we have uh, new members of Congress that have been on the forefront of environmental justice issues, like my new colleague, Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez, of course. Um, but, you know, Jared Huffman's also been working on these issues for many, many years. Uh, more so, uh, you don't hear his name as much, but behind the scenes. And we also have partners in the Senate who, who we've been partnering up with and, and working with. Um, you know, when, when we had our climate uh, port bill, we had numerous offices reach out to us and say, Hey, we want to work with you on this. And so we, uh, continue to see many voices amongst my colleagues, um, on environmental justice. And, you know, we just had the climate, the select committee on climate, uh, look at the issue, put out a report in that report. There's many bills from many members and many colleagues. And, what I think is great about Congress is it's about building coalitions, right? There's not one member who's going to do it alone. We're all going to work together as a team. We're going to partner up together and move things forward. Um, and so we have seen that even Chairman Grijalva, right, who is the head of natural resources, you know, he's been helpful in pushing our bill. He's got an EJ bill as well uh, with Donald McEachin. And we all provide input and uh, we work at together as a team because it's about teamwork mm. right what do they say teamwork makes a dream work yes, yes, we, this is about getting <laughs> results this is about getting environmental justice um and i hate to name names because i'm sure i forgot somebody and left somebody out um and, and so that's the hard part with that question but um just a few that i work uh you know that that we we see a lot oh, and that i work closely with um Especially my EJ task force partners. No, you got, you, you got a good bit in there, though. <laughs> you got you covered a few, and all the rest who are doing great work. Uh, definitely, we 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 definitely see you as well. Um, my other question for you in this moment here: Explain to people. Literally, we've talked about how the Trump rollbacks and what's been done to NEPA and what's being done as far as pulling out from the Paris Climate Accord. Explain. One, why it's important from your standpoint, um, obviously you're a Democrat, so obviously from your standpoint, why it's important to have a change at the top? Oh, boy. Uh, well, number one, because our future depends on it. Our planet depends on it because what we have had for the last few years is a rollback every environmental protection and bill, every, every rollback we can think of regulation in the EPA um, on the environmental side that is completely killing our communities and it's making climate change worse. And there are so many examples, um, but it really is as simple as saying our planet is at stake and our future is at stake, not just on the environment, on social justice issues, our immigrant communities are living in fear, but there is 
everything is at stake, not to mention the Supreme Court, who our thoughts and prayers with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who um, is fighting cancer again. Our Supreme Court, if we don't have people there who are going to be on the side of law and justice, then we're going to be in trouble long term. And so the impact of the Supreme Court, I think, is going to be huge. Um, but we can't take we can't take another four years of the disaster. We have, you know, over 140,000 Americans now who've died on COVID-19, and this administration is treating it like it's not a big deal. Okay, yeah, another death. These are people. These are families. These are, you know, our parents and our grandparents and our kids. And it's it's remarkable to me to see the lack of compassion and the lack of um, care to our planet um, and the future. So, so much is at stake. So much is at stake. Congressman, I just have one more question for you. I just, but I want to let you know that you are amazing. You are powerful. Um, you are, thank you for what you're doing for speaking truth to power, even from a position of power, which is also people who need us. That's very important. Um, but my last question to you is on what we call kind of like our, ta- our time capsule kind of question. And mm-hmm. it's one in which, you know, folks have seen Hamilton. <laughs> they get to kind of look at Hamilton mm-hmm. and, and say, wow, I, I never thought James Madison would be that interesting. <laughs> um, and so, or, yeah, or Hamilton right. or, or Aaron Burr or whoever. So this is your time capsule question. I guess I want to, I want to trans, I want to move you to 2120, a hundred years from now. And they're looking back at that point in time in history. Um, and they're looking at, wow, there was this amazing congresswoman um, named Nanette Barragan. And she was in the house and she represented uh, the 44th congressional district she was a powerhouse and she was, look what she did because of her, you know, we have these, this and we have that and all these things. And they're reading that and, they, you know, they, they, and they're, you know, there's little, there's little pictures of you and paintings and all that good stuff they do. And, and they, that happens in, in, in the future. But if you could speak to them, right, if they can play this recording and truly from the heart of what you were trying to accomplish and what you would want to see um, for whatever, you know, this country should be in 2120, um, what would you want to tell them? Well, I would tell them that I was fighting for racial justice and climate justice, that it's always been about the people. It's always about our communities of color and giving them clean air, clean water, access to the outdoor and healthy foods. And it's that fight. It's the fight for justice because we've seen so much injustice. And it's all about helping people and helping our brother and sister. And we've got a lot of work to do. And hopefully when they look back in time, we will have achieved some of that equality that we thrive for, that we thirst for that has been happening for decades, uh, that fight for justice. And if we can do it this year, if we can do it now, hopefully they'll be reading about that later. And if we don't do it, 
we don't know what it's going to look like then when it comes to our planet and our climate. And so if we can get it done now, hopefully there will be reading a positive story, how we got on track, because we are not on track to stop this climate change, which is a crisis in the making that's happening right now. So I hope we are up to the task and we can provide bold action on climate so that we have the future that we'll look back and say, this was a turning point and this is when we started to get on track for climate justice and racial justice. Powerful. Simply powerful. That's Representative Annette Barragan, U.S. Congresswoman for California's 44th District. And Congresswoman, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Well, they could go to our Twitter page. Uh, That's the easiest thing to do. It's at Rep Barragan, B-A-R-R-A-G-A-N. They could find us on Facebook as well. Um, and they could certainly always reach out to us. Uh, I, can, I know the local number is 310-831-1799, but we're pretty easy to find. Just Google us on on, uh, on the internet. Thank you so much, um, Congresswoman. And I know that LA is home to some of our, 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 our hip-hop, great hip-hop artists. I know you're right there. So thank you uh, for being just a part of the culture as well and always supporting us and our community. Thank you for your work and for what you're doing and doing this podcast and this show because it reaches so many people. And the spin that you give it, the angle you give it, what you bring is down-to-earth real talk. And that's what we need, real talk about what's happening in our communities. So thank you for all your work. Um, Much, much appreciated. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.